Go ahead and have a seat. You're going to need a Bible tonight. And if you will turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 14, that's where we're going to start uh, as we look at King Asa, King Asa of Judah tonight. Uh, We are in week three of a series of going through some of the kings of the Old Testament. And again, we will do this every week, but just as a recap, uh, you look at these um, fathers of the faith. And we look at these uh, guys that we look up to. First of all, Moses, who was uh, the leader who brought God's people out of Egypt. Uh, He led them up into the promised land, up to the promised land, not into the promised land, but... Uh, and, and as Landon has mentioned, Moses was not a king, but he acted much like a king. Uh, as he gave out orders and as they followed those, he acted uh, much like a king. Secondly, we have Joshua. And Joshua was uh, responsible for leading the people into the promised land. Joshua is uh, probably my favorite book of the Bible. Um, he was the general. He was kind of Moses' right-hand man uh, going into the promised land. And then he leads the people into the promised land. He defeats God's enemies in the promised land. And, of course, he was responsible for dividing the land amongst the tribes once they were in the promised land. After Joshua, we have a time of the judges. And, uh, again, this is where everything kind of, uh, the train goes off the tracks, where Everything kind of goes haywire. Um, Landon mentioned this. I'm sure we will mention this every time. But uh, the judges at best were flawed flawed leaders. They were not very good leaders. They were very flawed in their leadership. Uh, The judges, when they would be over a group of people, it was over a very small group. It was not over the nation. So we had a period of the judges. And then the last judge was Samuel. Samuel was a godly man. Samuel would lead into the time of the triad kings, as we know as Saul, David, and Solomon. Uh, We know that Saul was a wicked king. He was not a good king at all for the nation. We know that David had his moments of greatness. We know that David had his moments where you just shook your head and thought, what are you thinking? So David, a man after God's own heart, flawed in his ways as well. And then we have his son Solomon, who uh, was on the throne, had one of the best starts to a kingship that you could have. But uh, just like as we're going to see with a lot of these kings, uh, the train went off the tracks. And we will see that he ends much worse than he started. After Solomon, uh, the nation goes into a time of what we would call a civil war. You have the northern kingdom of Israel. You have the southern kingdom of Judah. Judah uh, was ruled by uh, Rehoboam. Uh, Israel was ruled by Jeroboam. And uh, we've talked about those two kings already. Tonight we're going to be talking about King Asa. And King Asa, uh, just so you know, uh, Rehoboam was his grandfather. We're going to see Abijah is his father. And uh, so a few things about Asa. Number one, Asa's father was King Abijah of Judah. He was the grandson of Rehoboam. But his father had 14 wives, 22 sons, and 16 daughters. Uh, Why do I tell you that? Because I want you to see that he was the same type of uh, king that his father Rehoboam was. 
He did not listen to all the statutes that had been set up for a king. He took multiple wives. And we're going to see that as a grandfather and a father, uh, we're going to see a different type of king when we look at King Asa. Asa's mother was Makah, who served as queen for a time before being removed by Asa for building a detestable image for Asherah. Now, before we go into that a little bit later, I will just say this about King Asa. If you are in such a place of leadership that you can remove your mom uh, from being queen, I think you might be on the right track there. So, uh, Thirdly, Asa reigned for 41 years in Jerusalem. 41 years. Uh, this is a long reign for a king. And we're going to see some of the reasons why he had a long reign as king in just a moment. Lastly, Asa's name means healing. And that indicates the reformation and the rest that was brought by him during this early part of his life. So, 2 Chronicles chapter 14 uh, you turn there, and I'm going to tell you a story about a man by the name of Eric Little. In the 1920s, there was a Scottish sprinter by the name of Eric Little. If you are raised in Texas, you may have heard his name called Eric Lydell, but that's not correct. It's Eric Little. And so he was raised by missionary parents in China, uh, he was most famous for the movie that was made about him. Anyone? Chariots of Fire. Okay, very good. Uh, in that movie, he is quoted as saying this. When I run, I feel God's pleasure. Uh, just to be a spoiler for you, there's actual no actual proof that he actually said that. Uh, it's what's theatrical. They made it for the movie. It's a really big quote in the movie. Everybody quotes it all the time. Uh, but there's no actual proof that he really said that. Eric was faced with a dilemma. As he was preparing to compete uh, for the Scottish team in the 1924 Olympics in Paris, um, he was uh, the favored sprinter for the 100-meter dash. And uh, he was the favorite to win. And as he prepared to race, uh, he had a bit of a dilemma that popped up in his life. And that dilemma was the fact that Eric was a Christian. And as a Christian, uh, he believed that you should not do anything on the Sabbath, much like it commands. It's a day of rest. I'm not going to do anything on the Sabbath. So the schedule comes out for the Olympics, the 1924 Olympics, and it goes through, and a 100-meter relay was on the Sabbath. So he's like, well, I guess I won't run. They do their, they, they talk about changing it. No, they said it, and he, he sticks to his, his guns. He says, I'm just not going to race. So he switches from the 100-meter race to the 200-meter race, and also he competes in the 400-meter race. Both races in which he was not favored to win because he hadn't practiced for the 100 meter, um, for the 200 or the 400 meter race, he had practiced for the 100 meter race. So he faced a dilemma. He moved the races. He competed in both, uh, in which he went on to win the bronze in the 200 meter race, and he he um, places gold in the 400 meter race. And you kind of see that in the movie as he does that. Now, according to Torchlighters, uh, 
Heroes of the Faith. This is a website I found about Little's plans for preparation and how he prepared for a race, how he uh, got ready for this race. He said this. They asked him, "How? what's your strategy to run this 400-meter race when you've only ran the 100? And he said this. I'm going to run the first half as fast as I can. And they quoted it as this. For the first half, he would run as fast as he could. For the second half, with God's help, he would run faster. That's a pretty good strategy. I don't know if you've ever ran 400 meters. Uh, I get slower as that time goes, even to a walk, if you really want to be honest. But, but in many ways, if you think about his strategy for running a 400-meter race, it mirrored his strategy for missions. Like I said, his, his family were missionaries to China. And, and if you go on to read about Eric Liddell, and, and, and you will see that he actually gets imprisoned for being a missionary in China during World War II, and he will die in prison. And so um, his ministry strategy was, I'm going to run the second half of my race even faster than I ran the first. Running the race all the way to the finish line, that's what my plan is. And so when I think about King Asa, and there's a lot of things about King Asa that's very ap- applicable to all of us. And it doesn't matter if you're here tonight and you would say you're towards the end of your race. Or if you would say you're at the beginning of your race. I think this story has a lot to teach all of us. About finishing well. About finishing the race that God has set before us. Asa is going to start really, really good. But we're going to see that... He doesn't finish as well as he starts. But I want you to consider this. When you think about your walk with the Lord right now, stop right where you're at. Think about your walk with the Lord. Do you feel like your best days, your best spiritual days are behind you? Or do you feel like your best spiritual days are in front of you? Now, we could talk about physical days and mental days. And if you're over 30, your best physical days are behind you. If you're, you know, if you're over 40, your best mental days are behind you. Um, you're all laughing because you know it's true. But I'm talking about your best spiritual days. Do you feel like your best spiritual days are in front of you? Or when you think about your best spiritual days, does it take you back to a time of yesteryear? Does it take you back to a time when you think, man, I just remember when, and then you fill in the blank. And I just want to encourage us as we think about this story, as we think about the race that is set before us, as we think about King Asa and the race that he's going to run, I want us to be encouraged and and think about uh, pressing on as we go through this life. Because one of the verses that we're going to read tonight, 2 Chronicles 15, verse 2. Let's read that. I think this would be a life verse for King Asa. And I think it could be a life verse for each and every one of us. It says this, The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Pretty straightforward. If you seek him, He will be found by you. If you forsake him, he will forsake you. And like I said, Asa is going to be a good king. He's going to do some great things, but he's going to lose his way towards the end of his life. And so 
Much like many of the kings, uh, uh, Asa is going to end in a very positive way in that his people will mourn him. His people will throw a, a big funeral for him. They will have a huge bonfire for him. That doesn't happen for a lot of the kings, but it will for King Asa. And so this verse is going to be true for Asa in the good times. This verse is going to be true for Asa in the bad times. So let's talk about the beginning of Asa's life. Because the beginning of Asa's life was marked by obedience. Now, I want you to keep your Bibles open because we're going to be pressing through this uh, scripture as we look at King Asa. So uh, chapter 14, starting in verse 2. It says, and Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord, his God. What a great start compared to some of the other kings we've heard, right? Next week, we're going to talk about Ahab. This is not how Ahab starts, I promise you. Let's keep reading. He took away the foreign altars and the high places and broke down the pillars and cut down the ashram and commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to keep the law and the commandments. One of the things that you will see constantly as a command to God's people is you have to seek God and you have to obey God, keep his commandments. This stems all the way back from Moses as he led the people out of Egypt. Um, Here at the beginning of Asa's life, after having Rehoboam as a grandfather, after having Abijah as a father, two bad influences, you could say, we're going to see Asa Start very, very well. Boom. We have a son that wants to obey God, that wants to obey his commandments, that wants to seek the Lord. Uh, So he's going to start off with obedience. Secondly, uh, we're going to see the beginning of Asa's life marked by rest and peace. Continuing in verse 5. It says, He also took out out of all the cities of Judah the high places, And the incense altars. And the kingdom had rest under him. He built fortified cities in Judah. For the land had rest. Had no wars. No war in those years. And the Lord gave him peace. And he said to Judah. Let us build these cities. Surround them with walls and towers. Gates and bars. The land is still ours. But we have sought. Because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him. And he has given us peace on every side. So they built and they prospered. You know, when you think about Asa, and he, he was a man of rest. He was a man of peace. And that rest became, came because of Asa's obedience to the Lord. All of these things that the Lord had commanded the other kings to do, Asa starts off by obeying them fully. By saying no to the world and saying yes to God. By saying no to my selfish desires and obeying the commandments of the Lord. And Asa is going to do everything in his powers to take up, verse 3, take down the foreign altars, take down the high places, take away the ashram. He commanded, commanded the people, seek the Lord to keep his commandments, to keep Yahweh's commandments. And I think these two things go hand in hand. Honestly, if you're truly seeking the Lord, you're going to obey Him. If you're truly seeking the Lord, if you're in His Word, it's going to be just a matter of time before you obey Him and His commandments that He's uh, given you to do. Remember from Deuteronomy 17. 
And I know we, we go back to Deuteronomy a lot when we look through the kings and we see the guidelines of a king. And one of the things that Deuteronomy 17, starting in verse 8, says, When a king, when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in the book a copy of this law, approved by the Levitical priest, and it shall be with him. And he shall read in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the, the Lord his God by keeping all the words of his law, and these statues and doing them that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left so that he may continue long in his kingdom he and his children in Israel. I want you to think about how Asa when he comes into power he starts removing all of these idol worship things. This had to have been a difficult thing. Through Solomon, through Rehoboam, through Abijah. All of these things were up. The people came to worship them. And Asa is going to start removing them. Asa is walking with the Lord. He's seeking the Lord. He's seeking to obey the Lord. He remembers, he probably remembers Deuteronomy 17 He remembers that I'm supposed to fear God. I'm supposed to obey his law. I need to get rid of these things. And as he gets rid of these idols, as he begins to take down these high places that all these people have grown accustomed to, it says the Lord gave the nation favor. Let's continue reading in verse 8. And Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah, armed with large spears, shields and spears, and 280,000 men from Benjamin that carried shields and drew bows. All these were mighty men of valor. So when you think about the start of Asa's life, wow, what a change from the kings that we've seen already. Because of seeking the Lord, because of seeking to obey the Lord, and it says the Lord gives him favor. Fortified cities, A massive army, over a half a million men. And on top of that, okay, you build up all of these cities. You have all these fortified walls. And guess what? I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to give you peace all around you. There will be rest on every side. They continued. to. They were able to build. They were able to prosper during these times. Well, nothing really has happened in Asa's life yet. Well, let's see what happens next. Because next, Asa's life would be marked with dependence and trust. Uh, Chapter 14, let's continue reading in verse 9. It says, Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots and came as far as Marishah. And Asa went out to meet him. And they drew up their lines of battle in the valley of Zephatha, in Mer- at Marishah. So we have this massive Ethiopian army that has shown up at their doorstep. Uh, think about the proportions. I just told you he had a, a little bit over a half of a million men. And all of a sudden this Ethiopian army shows up and they have a million men. Uh, if you don't know math that well, that's a two to one ratio. They're outnumbered two to one. Uh, I thought the half a million army thing was pretty impressive until you see this 
army of a million men show up. And you're like, man, we're outnumbered. Let's see what happens. Verse 11. And Asa cried out to the Lord his God. O Lord, there is none like you to help. Between the mighty and the weak. He says, help us, O Lord, our, our God. For we rely on you. And in your name, we have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. This is a great turning point in the life of Asa. Can you imagine how God delighted to hear from this king in this manner? You're up against an impossible situation. And here Asa sits crying out to the God. Not only do I think God delights to hear this from the king, I think God delights to hear this from his people. As we read a few weeks ago in Sunday school, probably in the book of Revelation there, and when we think about how the prayers of the people are there being held by the elders at the throne room of God, and they're offered up as worship to God. The prayers of the people. And I can imagine that this prayer that Asa prays in this moment, it was definitely a part in worship to God. It was a delight to the Lord to hear these things. This is the type of prayer that we should be praying in all circumstances in our life. Involving such things such as our marriage. Whether things are great, whether things aren't so great. This should be the cry of our heart. We rely on you. In your name we have come against this situation. What about wisdom? Wisdom for decisions that we have to make. What about when you're broke? We should cry out to the Lord. Uh, What about when you don't know what to do? What about when a loved one comes down with a terminal illness and the diagnosis is bad? We should cry out to the Lord. What about if life is great and everything is going exactly how you thought it would? We should cry out to the Lord because we don't know what tomorrow holds. We pray, God help us. We rely on you and in your name we have come and we lay it at his feet. And then let's see what happens. Verse 12. So the Lord defeated the Ethiopians. Who defeated them? Let's not forget that. The Lord defeated the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah. And the Ethiopians Ethiopians fled. Asa and the people who were with him pursued them as far as Gerar. And the Ethiopians fell until none remained alive. For they were broken before the Lord and his army. The men of Judah carried away very much spoil. They attacked all the cities around Gerar. And the fear of the Lord was upon them. They plundered all the cities. For there was much plunder in them. They struck down the tents of those who had livestock and carried away sheep in abundance and camels. Then they returned to Jerusalem. The Lord had heard their cry and he made the impossible possible. At least on paper it looked impossible. But we know that with God nothing is impossible. He gives victory over over his enemies. Giving Asa rest, giving Asa peace. Because he trusted the Lord and he cried out to the Lord. Which leads to, let's look at chapter 15. Asa's life being marked by reform. His 
life being marked by reform. Starting in verse 1, it says, The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa. And he said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. You know, I think that's a difficult thing to hear. It's pretty black and white. And you should be like, well, that's the way it is. You know, we're used to, on this side of the cross, we're used to hearing nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. God is love. God is this. All of these nice, um, warm, fuzzy feeling things about God that we have on this side of the cross. Knowing all that we know. So for this prophet of the Lord to come out and say to Asa, you know, if you seek the Lord, he's going to be there for you. But if you forsake him, he will turn his back on you. It's not going to end well. But remember, we must not read all of these passages like it's one of those he's saved or he's not saved type of situations. This is talking about the nation of Israel as a whole. It's talking about the king, the ruler, under the Mosaic Covenant, which clearly states, if you obey me, if you seek me and obey me, I will pour out an abundance of blessings upon you and the nation. One thing that it does not say is bad things wouldn't happen. It doesn't say bad things won't happen to people. I mean, that's just a part of living in a fallen world. But it does say the overall direction of the nation, the overall direction was going to be blessing. And as the people follow God, as the king follows God, they will have prosperity. They will have, we'll see military victories, family blessing, long life as a nation, as blessing was poured out on the people. And when they disobeyed, it says he would curse them. Uh, I want us to remember that the book of Chronicles was written to the exiles that were about to return back to the promised land. It was written to the exiles. So when they would read this, when they would read, okay, if you obey God, he will pour out blessings. If you forsake God, he will forsake you and he will curse you. They were living in the middle of the curses. They knew what it was like to be cursed by God. They, were, they knew what it was like to be in exile because of the disobedience of the nation. So this probably was a bit of an encouragement to them. And I think that's why you will continue to see through these kings a cry to seek the Lord, to seek the Lord, to seek the Lord. Because they knew that it led to blessings from the Lord. So, but then Asa is going to get a warning from Azariah. If you forsake him, He will forsake you. If you walk with him, you will find him. If you turn your back on him, it's not going to end well for you. And so let's continue reading in verse 3. And and think about the exiles reading this, coming back into the promised land. Think about the exiles reading this and what an encouragement it would have been to them. For a long time, Israel was without the true God and without the teaching priest and without the law. But when in their distress they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, he was found by them. In those times there was no peace to him who went out, who came in, for great disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the land. 
They were broken in pieces. Nation was crushed by nation and city by city. For God troubled them with every sort of distress. It says, but you take courage. Do not let your hands be weak for your work shall be rewarded. Asa, in this time of reform, he takes courage. He tears down the altars. He tore down the high places. Uh, He tore down the ashram. If you keep reading in chapter 15, you will see that uh, Asa will repair the altar of the Lord in front of the temple. He brought gold and silver into the temple. He's going to offer sacrifices, let people offer sacrifices um, to the one true God and not to all of these other gods, these empty uh, gods that offered nothing for them. But check out verse 12. He's going to lead the people in the nation into a covenant. And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all their heart, with all their soul. But that whoever would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, should be put to death, whether young or old, man or woman. And they swore an oath to the Lord with a loud voice and with shouting, with trumpets and with horns. And all Judah rejoiced over the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart to And had sought him with all their whole desire and was found by them. And the Lord gave them rest all around. Man, I love this, this section of the scripture. He leads the people into a revival to seek the Lord, to offer sacrifices. One of the things that we see in the Old Testament was when there was a revival, the people renewed their covenant vows with the Lord. Asa is going to lead the nation into a revival. Asa wanted to see who's in, who's out. Who's wholly committed, who's not? And it says he sought him with their whole desire. And Asa leads the people early on in his life, uh, through most of his life, and he led well. He led the people into rest. He led the people into peace, fully trusting God along the way. Even when a million men show up at your doorstep trying to defeat you, he calls out to God even when it was difficult. I mentioned earlier that he removed his mom from being queen because of her idol worship. Think about that. Your mom, she didn't have the same beliefs as you, but he's going to remove her from a position of power. He's going to take her idols that she was worshiping and he's going to burn them. And he's not going to stand for it. Asa was a good king. He did amazing things. Verse 19, 15, 19. And there was no more war until the 35th year of his reign the reign of Asa. So the first part of Asa's life is very encouraging. Very encouraging. It was marked by obedience, peace, uh, trust, leading the nation into a revival. But let's see what happens. The end of Asa's life, Asa's life was marked by regression. In chapter 16, you're going to see the king of Israel come up against the king of Judah. Basha who was the king of Israel at the time, is coming up against Judah. He's coming up against Asa. And Asa's first response is going to be, I just don't want this trouble. We have trouble. Something's coming up. And remember, we've already seen the Ethiopian show up on his doorstep with a million men, and he cried out to God. And here we see a considerable smaller army show up. And 
Asa is going to try to take matters into his own hand rather than crying out to God. He's going to fear man instead of fear God. And you can read all about that in chapter uh, 16. The problem was the king of Israel had a, an alliance with the king of Syria, Ben-Hadad. And because of this treaty, because of this alliance that they had, Asa feared the king of Israel. He, he feared him. He feared, feared uh, their alliance and them being too powerful for his nation. And so what King Asa decides to do is he's going to empty the treasury of the Lord. He's going to take all the gold and the silver and he's going to go to Ben-Hadad ben -Hadad and the king of Syria. And he's going to say, all right, listen, I have all this money and here's what I want you to do. I want you to break your treaty with the king of Israel and I want you to make a treaty with me. So instead of fighting with them, you would fight with me. Giving him the upper hand, giving him uh, maybe victory if there is a battle. And his plan, for the most part, is going to work. You're thinking, wow, this is, this is a pretty good plan. His plan's, his plan's going to work. The treaty's made. Israel backs off. Judah does not have to go to war. And he's thinking, man, that was not too hard to avoid that battle. However, let's look at verse 7 in chapter 16. At that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Syria, and you did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. Verse 9, we've all heard this verse. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. And he tells Asa, you have done foolishly in this, and from now on, you will have wars. Asa does not seek the Lord. Asa does not pray to the Lord. As a matter of fact, he takes the treasure, uh, the money out of the treasury for the Lord and decides to bribe the king of Syria. His plan worked out exactly the way he played it out in his head. I want to avoid war. And he did. But then this guy shows up. And the very thing that Asa was trying to escape, war, he gives him the bad news that this is the exact thing that you're going to have the rest of your days. The exact thing. And then to add insult to injury, he says, you know that alliance you made with the king of Syria? He would have been given into your hands as well if you would have relied on the Lord instead of relying on man. The very man that you made an alliance with, he would have been given into your very hands. So how's he going to respond? You know, most people that get bad news, they don't respond too well. Let's see how Asa responds. Verse 10. Then Asa was angry with the seer and he put him in the stocks in prison for he was enraged with him because of this. And Asa inflicted cruelties upon some of the people at the same time. Uh, 
We're going to be looking at a proverb on a Sunday. I want to t- teach on one of the proverbs. But this story reminded me of another proverb that I had read recently in going through the proverbs. Proverbs 29, 25 states this. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts the Lord is safe. I think this was straight at Asa when you think about what it's talking about. He feared man more than he feared God. And because of that, it was a snare. It was a trap for him. He feared man over God. And when that happens, when we lose our focus on God, when we stop seeking the Lord... You take a problem that was half the size as it was before. You put your trust in yourself and making your own decisions. We forget God and this is what happens. God does not bless us in the ways that he could. So these stubborn final days of Asa, uh, they kind of boil down to this. Um, In verse 11, the acts of Asa from first to last are written in the books of the kings of Judah and Israel. In their 39th year of his reign, Asa was diseased in his feet, and his disease became severe. Yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but he sought help from the physicians. Asa slept with his fathers, dying in the 41st year of his reign. They buried him in the tomb that he had cut for himself in the city of David. They laid him in the bier that had been filled with various kinds of spices prepared for the perfumer's art, and they made a very great fire in his honor." So such promise, such devotion, all to be derailed at the end because he forgot to seek the Lord and obey his commandments. And so that's a very quick overview of King Asa of Judah. So what do we learn from Asa? What do we learn from Asa's life and his reign as king? Uh, Number one, you've heard this before. Sin always has consequences. Following with the theme of the king's, When you see uh, kings seek the Lord and obey him, blessings will follow. When you see those who decide to do things their own way and forsake the Lord, uh, things don't end 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 up very well. Here's the deal. The same is true for us. When you are truly seeking the Lord, when you are crying out to the Lord, when you are obeying the Lord, things usually are pretty well. I'm not saying everything in life is perfect, you know, but for those who seek the Lord, blessings follow. And the same is true for our lives today. We have to remember to continue to seek the Lord. We have to continue to remember to obey his commandments. Secondly, our first response to life events should always be to cry out to the Lord. Whatever you're facing, whatever trial, whatever heartache, King Asa shows us that our first, first act should be to cry out to Yahweh, to cry out to the Lord. He did, and he had blessings in much of his life. But when he didn't, we see where God forsook him. He t- turned his back on him. Difficult times happened when he did not seek the Lord. Thirdly, we must not allow anyone to deter us from seeking and obeying the Lord. This is kind of aimed at Asa's mom. You're always going to have family members. You're always going to have friends who may have different beliefs than you, who may try to deter you from seeking the Lord and obeying the Lord. Um, I think we need to take courage from this verse, from these scriptures. 
We need to do the things that we need to do to continue to seek the Lord, to continue to obey his commandments. And even if that means that we do something as drastic as removing our mom from uh, being a place of of the queen, right? Uh, Of course, we're not kings in here, so y'all don't know what that's like. But you know what? I've had to have some difficult conversations with family. It's very odd. It's very I would say sharing a true gospel with family members is probably harder than sharing the gospel with a complete stranger. Because we love them. Because we love them deeply. Even in their foolishness. We can't allow them to turn us us or our hearts away from God. We can't allow that to happen. Lastly, we should look at the son of Asa, Jesus, the Messiah. Uh, We read a few weeks ago the genealogy of Jesus Asa is included in that genealogy. If you want to look that up in Matthew chapter 1. So Asa brought reform to the nation. But the greatest reformation that has ever taken place was through uh, was not through any of the kings that we're going to look at during this series. But from the greatest king who came through these kings. And that's Jesus, uh, the Messiah, the promised king that God sent into the world who fully and completely obeyed God more than any of these other kings uh, could. He obeyed God fully. And that's who we should look to as our perfect king. So I'll end with this. Uh, And this is where we started speaking about uh, Eric Little. How's the race that you're running? I just want you to think about that as we end tonight. How is the race that you are currently running? Are your best days of faith, are your best spiritual days ahead of you or behind you? For all of us, it should be ahead of us. We should continue to run the race that God has set before us and run it faster than we did the first part of it. I'll leave you with this. Romans 12.1 Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let's run with endurance the race that is set before us.